Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Today's episode is one of our eight makeup episodes I'm doing in order to account for my nearly two weeks off the air while on vacation. So this is episode number three. It's a short but to the point episode. And let's get going right on it, everybody. Let's get right into the show today. And again, welcome to a special episode of What's Brewing Cisfa. As I mentioned in the other episodes we've done so far, I'm taking these single topic items, spreading them out over a number of shows. But the whole goal here is to get the show number 200 by the end of June. So hopefully we will do so. I think this will be uh, episode number 186, uh, if I have the count right. So we're well on our way. But I also wanted to make up for the fact that we had about a nearly almost two weeks there without any episodes for anyone. I'm sure nobody's been missing my voice that much. And unfortunately, with Dana back in the office, me still really on vacation, I'm recording these from my home studio instead. So today's topic, or this episode's topic, I should say, is professional judgment, or what we might call PJ. It's a term that we use in financially quite a bit. Sometimes we use it inaccurately as far as what it is or what it can be. But professional judgment is actually part of the federal laws and regulations that govern federal financial aid eligibility for students. So many things are written as they are. You know, there's federal laws that explain how the FAFSA and what kind of information the federal aid form, the FAFSA, can uh, collect, how it's used in what we call federal methodology to calculate that uh, student's expected contribution to their cost of going to school, the EFC, as we talked in the last episode, and so many other things. But there is some wiggle room because, again, there's a number of things in the federal formula and process that may uh, disadvantage certain students. For one, uh, the first and foremost one, usually that we see right at the start of filling out a FAFSA, are the questions that help determine whether a student is a dependent or independent student. The federal government sets the rules on this, and there's not been a whole lot of change over the years, but there's been a little bit. Normally, a student's considered a dependent student, in other words, needing information from their parents on the FAFSA, if they're not 24 or older, if they're not married, and if they don't have kids of their own who receive more than half their support from them. Some other categories, for example, if a student would be a veteran or a member uh, on active duty in the military, those would make them independent. But again, when we're talking about high school students, at least, that would be a very rare thing to see either of those. Then there's some things that are about the family. So students who are foster youth or former foster youth, anytime from the age of 13 on, they would be independent. Orphans, students who's both Biological parents are deceased. They're independent, obviously, even if they've uh, since, uh, you know, may have uh, gone into the foster system and had foster parents and such, they would still be independent students. 
students who are in a legal guardianship with someone other than their parent or biologic, uh, their, their biologic or step parents would be an independent student. And then lastly, they created a category a number of years ago for students who are what we call unaccompanied homeless youth. So unaccompanied in the sense that they are not with their parents, uh, homeless, all the different possibilities, of what homeless might entail, and youth under the age of 24. So all these different categories help determine if a student's a dependent or independent student, but there are always some students who fall between the cracks. What can we do about it? And that's what professional judgment is about. So for the student, and I always give, uh, when I'm talking to parents or high school counselors, as an example, the student who lives with a relative, an aunt or an uncle, and has so for a while because they have no idea where their actual parents are. Maybe they moved out of the country and they've completely lost contact. Maybe one parent is incarcerated and possibly, again, out of the country or such. But the student has no contact with their actual parents, lives with a relative, but maybe that relative hasn't gone about doing all the paperwork to adopt or foster youth work or legal guardianship or whatever. And thus the student kind of falls in this limbo where they would normally need parent information, but there's no way to get it. This is where professional judgment as a concept comes into play and allows colleges and universities, their financial aid administrators, to in a sense overrule the federal rules. So dependency status, probably the biggest one that we see usually with the students who have some very, uh, uh, you know, types of circumstances that have to be dealt with and sometimes talked about even though they may not want to talk about it. So something we work on regularly. The other area that we get is regarding income. And for those who have done a FAFSA in recent time, you kind of know the time cycle. And I like to break it down as like a three-year cycle. We have a FAFSA that comes out every October 1st for the next school year. So, you, for example, the FAFSA that's coming out here in fall of 2022 in October, a few months away from now, is going to be used for students who are starting school in the year 2023. So fall of 2023 spring of 2024, summer of 2024, in general. Now, the income that they need on that form would be the income from the last completed tax year, which if you're doing a FAFSA in October of 2022 is actually your 2021 tax year, the 2021 calendar year for most of us for our tax year. So you can see there's, there's some disparity there. You're talking about a student filling out a FAFSA in 2022, using income from the year before for going to school a year ahead. So what ifs? The what ifs of what if uh, your parents or your income is significantly lower now than it was for the tax year that you use to complete the FAFSA. When you're filling out the FAFSA, there's no option. It doesn't say enter your current year's income. Mark this box if your income's gone down. Mark this box if you're unemployed, etc. Not all those options exist on the FAFSA. So you fill it out with the information you're told you need to fill it out with. And there's reasons why that is, uh, as far as the tax year they use, et cetera. But this is an area, again, where colleges 
their financial aid office can look at current circumstances of the student and uh, rationale for why, for example, their income might be significantly lower or a significant change in the assets as reported on the FAFSA and use professional judgment to re, uh, rework those numbers, put them into the formula, that EFC formula, and see if it, in a sense, lowers the expected amount that a family would need to contribute. This is the reason to do this. Uh, so, for example, there are sometimes students who will come in and ask about it and say, I did my FAFSA, but my parents are now unemployed. But if they already have a very low or a zero expected family contribution, although there is those financial changes in the family, it won't, in a sense, affect financial aid eligibility because the student is already qualifying at the highest level by having, in a sense, a zero family contribution. But any number above that, yes, there could be some wiggle room there in doing professional judgment that we may, in a sense, accomplish and see a lowering of the EFC and a raising of aid eligibility. This relates back to the last episode we did when we talked about the formula of cost of attendance minus EFC equals unmet need. So professional judgment gives us the leeway as professionals in financial aid to account for circumstances outside the norm on the FAFSA and in the federal aid process. There was one other area that we did also have professional judgment control over, and that used to be regarding selective service. Up until just this last year, it has been a requirement for federal aid eligibility that a male student between 18 and 25 would have to be registered with selective service. And just as a normal federal requirement, that still is in place. But for federal aid, it's been in place also. And that has sometimes caused some problems for students who never, you know, registered with selective service. Now, there could be a number of reasons that are certainly understandable. For example, students who may have immigrated to the country after their 26th birthday and thus were not required to. Those who completely did not know it all maybe due to being institutionalized or incarcerated or such, there may be some reasons for that. But this was an area that community college, not because community colleges, all colleges, financial aid officers might have to look at the students' circumstances. And it was always a case of, did they knowingly and willfully not register? And if so, then they would not be eligible for federal aid. So we had to be very careful on the types of statements that we would ask for yet get from students explaining why they may not have been registered. Now, I say this all kind of in a past tense form because as of last year, the selective service requirement is no longer part of aid eligibility. This was part of the FAFSA simplification passed in late 2020 by Congress, whereby certain things were meant to simplify the FAFSA process, and this was one of the key areas. So we're not having to do these petitions in a sense and apply professional judgment in cases where a student may not have registered. It's still out there and on the form though, uh, because like any federal form, it takes a little while to get the updates done. 
So professional judgment can be used on an individual case-by-case basis by a college to account for a student's specific circumstances. What we can't do is we can't just make a class or a group of students more eligible or less eligible for aid. So just because we feel that uh, in our community a certain uh, group of students would benefit from lower EFCs and get more financial aid, we can't do that. This is meant to be used on an individual basis. And so although it's not an area that gets audited a whole lot by the federal government, it is an area they look at to make sure that we're meeting their requirements as far as we've gone through a process. We've collected documentation for those things that we need to collect documentation for. We've applied reasonable standards when it was, you know, changing a standard uh, income on a form to maybe just unemployment or no income for a coming year. We've done all those type of necessary things so that we're not, in a sense, manipulating the formula. We're just changing the numbers that go into the formula into correct spots to still come out with an expected family contribution. But it is one of these things that, you know, as much as we have some very kind-hearted people in financial aid, we can't just on a broad scale apply professional judgment to all our students and get them all more money. Now, I remember many, many, many years ago, there were some schools that people would call out because they were doing significant numbers of these PJ adjustments to income or PJ adjustments for uh, dependency status. But again, as long as they were all documentable, in a sense, what it meant is they were reaching out to their students to try to make sure they get through the financial aid process. And in cases where there are these hiccups or, you know, snagging points, they were able to help them through it and get past these type of things that might have kept them from going to college. And again, uh, one of the things that came out of our CARES and HERF funding, our emergency relief funds, uh, these last two years in the pandemic, was the idea that schools would make a concerted effort to reach out to their students who may have higher EFCs because of income from pre-pandemic times and checking with them that if they needed to have their income reviewed potentially for a change in aid eligibility. So we know we had plenty of parents and students who might have been unemployed or their financial situations upended during the pandemic, and thus we were supposed to address that as part of the law so that we give them that opportunity to check in with us and see if we can make some adjustments for them. That's as far as I want to go on professional judgment because everything else gets becomes uh, way too many details. But I wanted to at least bring it up so that you kind of, if you hear the word professional judgment or you hear PJ, you kind of have an idea what it's all about. So that's all we have time for today on the show. But don't worry, there are more episodes coming. I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in today. And remember, What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 186, recorded Friday, May 27th, 2022. Have a great day, everybody.